This is the Power Breakfast Show podcast series. Podcast series. Remember, like, share, and subscribe. Power 102 Digital. And welcome to the second hour of the Power Breakfast Show. Paul Richards, Richard Ragubaru saying, and myself, Steve Khan, keeping you company till 9 o'clock. Sitting there somewhere. All right, and of course, that was our uh, major news with Gregory McBurney. We have a news brief coming up at 8, and that's all courtesy Sham Flair Auto Services. All right, uh, before we give the results of our morning poll, let's just take some traffic. Yep, between Trin City. And Yui, you got some there from Barataria to Port of Spain. Uh, Lewis Santa Cruz got some traffic. And that's a Riverlet Road and heading to Point Lisa's got some there. Nice right, kick one for you. Hope that helps you out in one way or the other. All right. 14 minutes after 7 o'clock. Uh, let's get the results of our morning poll before we get the president of Tutor online. And let me see if I have any more. Results for you. I got Mr. Chin Chin. Uh, okay, that's not a vote. Okay, all right. Results there, Richie Rich. So our poll this morning was whether you, you agreed with President Paul Weeks that the events of 1990 should be celebrated. Well, no, that shouldn't be celebrated, but should be have a day of remembrance and a cool museum. And whether you agreed with that suggestion or recommendation by the president. We had 22 people voting on the poll this morning. Of the 22 people, 18 said yes, they agreed with the president, and four people said no, they did not agree with her um, in terms of having a day of remembrance and or a coup museum. So 18 said yes, four said no. Um, of course, you can continue to vote on this poll throughout the day and through all programming, and you can get the final results tomorrow morning which will be friday what do you think faris who's faris with your shit button don't see his faris today because i'm sexy there's no comeback after i see that sentence absolutely no comeback not <laughs> 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 the house this is joined it done None. argument done Everybody yell, shut up. <laughs> President has spoken. <laughs> so. Congratulations to Patrice Roberts and Ricardo Drew. Yeah. I see they got engaged. Yeah, I saw that yesterday. Mm. You couldn't be more excited. <laughs> <laughs> 
You could not you could not exude more excitement with Shudakubasing. But they have a child together then and not so? Yes they do, Lily. Lily. They have a daughter. Yeah. So some of the people that were weighing in on the issue of the machines were saying, Paul, that some of those airports don't have machines. Or the machines weren't working. Two of well, our callers. Well, the last time I traveled, which is in May, the machine was working. In New York? Yeah. Yeah. In that particular and then, and, then, and then somebody said the machines are behind and are scammed Recording behind. in I'm, progress. I'm, I have no clue what they're talking about. Yeah, you'll have to call it's us like our digital vaccine cards, I tell you. All right. Um, let's bring in Antonia de Freitas. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, gentlemen. I'm fine, thank you. Good morning to your listeners. Yeah, we have, um, well, you know Paul Richards and you know Richard Ragu Ba. Good morning, Paul of Richard. How are you? Good morning, uh, Antonia de Freitas. How are you? I am blessed. Thank you very much. Thank you. How are you recovering? Excellently, thank you. Thank God for no it. No side effects, though. Not yet, no. My God, please. But not at all. Not, not yet. Not yet. Not at all. We're putting it in the universe as <laughs> not at all. Exactly, exactly, yes. So we wanted to, dis- to discuss with you this morning, if you can, give us an update on the four weeks of remedial for SEA students transitioning to Form 1, if you can. Has that started? It should have started on Monday the 18th in Trinidad. Um, there were plans to have a similar program in Tobago, but we are not sure yet whether that program has gotten off the ground. Um, it is due to start, I think, next week, please God. So you haven't gotten any feedback from your teachers who certainly would have to participate, your members? Um, the last update I got, which was, of course, anecdotal data, was that you had, just as the ministry indicated, a very small number of the students. At the time, it was just under 3,000 of the 9,000 students who should have been in the program um, participating. Additionally, of course, the ministry projected that there was a requirement for about 600 teachers to participate, and we have had nowhere close to that number of persons registering. And can I add, there may be a number of reasons for that. Even though the Ministry of Education incentivized the program for the teachers, the reality is that you would be looking for your primary school or generalist teachers to deliver math and English in the first instance or your secondary math and English teachers. A number of educators during the course of this vacation and over the last couple of years have committed themselves to working with their students in their schools, in their classes, free of charge. So that commitment was already there in some instances. Additionally, whilst the ministry would say that X number of students scored below 50% or so in the examination, I am not certain as an educator going to meet these students exactly what your weak areas are. So, for example, whereas Richard may have been able to do all of the geometry problems, but he struggled in the number component of the math exam, for example, and Paul the opposite, that doesn't mean that throwing me a whole math revision program will still correct the issues or the shortcomings that I face. The same would apply for the language, um, the language as component of the exam. So what needed to happen would have should have been an in-depth analysis of the scores of these particular students. And that could have been done. And then 
programs developed that would have been more sustainable over a long-term period. But would the SEA resource itself, when, when broken down, give you those, that information? Not necessarily. Not for each student, no. The ministry will have the raw data. I scored 50 out of 100, for example. I scored 40 out of 100, for example. And it will have the items that are marked, but it doesn't say exactly what component of that would be my shortcoming. I might get an entire problem wrong, but that doesn't mean that I, they are able to assess what my shortcoming is with that problem. They just know I can't do a particular topic. And, and that is the issue. Good. The other thing that we have to recognize is that these children have been under stress, as many all of our children around the world have been. And so simply putting them back into the school and into an exam mode situation as was done with the secondary school students as well, may not necessarily have been the best approach. Again, as other commentators and education practitioners have suggested, you should have had some kind of um, reorientation program, not just to deal with behavioral issues, but to deal with the students where they were at. Some students flourished with the virtual engagement. Some students did not. Some students had limited access to virtual classes. So that we needed to assess where the students are properly before we put them into an exam environment. And that is a lesson for us to learn going forward for at least the next cohort to do exams in 2023. As far as this program goes, it's not sustainable from what tutor understands, meaning you do the period of four weeks as you indicated, but there's nothing in place at this time that we are aware of to assist these students, to remediate with these students as they go into the form ones of the secondary schools. And that in itself is going to be a challenge. You would remember, gentlemen and listeners, some years ago we had a program when we had our junior secondary schools were still in existence and we had teachers come in, teachers who were not only school retired teachers in some instances, but come in and do remedial math and English. And that program worked to an extent to assist those students. We don't have a system in place like that now. So these students still go into Form 1 in the mainstream, mentally and emotionally challenged because they recognize that they are not achievers the way their peers have been and that they've been singled out in some instances. And then there's the whole issue of the academic performance. And might I add very quickly, this program that the Ministry of Education run or is running is not mandatory. It's voluntary. So that the parent has made a decision, whether it's the best one or not, the parent has made a decision to do what he or she sees fit for the child. And that in itself is something that would have mitigated against the attendance that the ministry perhaps anticipated um, from the I, I, I was just wondering, in terms of, in terms of the, the Ministry of Education coming up with this r- route in terms of dealing with the learning loss and, and what, what grades were eventually, well, uh, in terms of the analysis of the grades and seeing that there was a, a big amount of learning loss and they needed to do some remedial action, did they consult tutor on the way forward in terms of this vacation period um, remedial attempt to deal with the issue. Um, so, uh, so that's my first question. Was tutor engaged in terms of coming up with a solution to put to the problem? Because ultimately, we, we have to find a solution to the problem. 
um, or oh. how do you deal with the problem moving forward? And my second question is, can a lot of this remedial work be done because it's remedial work not only at the form one level, but at, at the other levels, at, at the other levels in the tiered structure of the education system, you may have learning loss in the various levels. And, and is there a way to capture this? And is there a way to heighten whatever remedial activity um, necessary within the school curriculum? So to answer your first question, Richard, no tutor was not engaged at all in the rollout, in the preparation and the rollout of this program. I would want to go back to 2020 when we kept saying to the Ministry of Education, this is something that's going to happen. All the education researchers, all the analysis from the, um, the World Bank, etc., suggested that. And we suggested then that we establish a working committee to start developing plans to mitigate that. Even CARICOM, which established a program for learning recovery, we recommended that the Ministry of Education implement aspects of that because that is something that Trinidad and Tobago, as a member of CARICOM, signed on to to facilitate learning recovery. Um, We have not heard or seen much of that. So no, TUTOR was not engaged. And TUTOR as an organization would have been ideal where you had the education practitioners, the people on the ground who can say, listen, in the classroom, this is the reality of the children. In the exam, this was the reality, and therefore this is what we should do, etc. There was no engagement. As to your second question, yes, the remediation can and should be sustained and continued at each level of the secondary school because, as you rightly said, for many students, there would have been gaps along the way through the virtual engagement. As was said, some persons thrived, some persons did not. What we needed to consider, what we need to consider as a society, gentlemen, is that we are so exam-driven. Ultimately, secondary school, for many of us, the culmination is the CXC's exams, the CSEC and CAPE exams. Along the way, we need to measure now, it's not too late, we can implement systems with the right collaboration to measure student performance, especially the students who are going to the schools with the particular challenges. And that measurement should be standardized, and it doesn't have to be an examination. There are different types of assessments, as Paul will well you know, and, Antonio, I'm hearing you, you know, my, I'm boiling with anger. Don't shoot the messenger, sir. <laughs> no, no, I'm not with you, you know, I'm not angry at you. I'm angry at this situation. And you know why I'm angry at the situation. Because we've had uh, situations, inquiries at the JSC level all through 2020, 2021, which pointed to what was going to happen, which was what was happening. You referenced the CARICOM and the global studies, which pointed to what was going mm-hmm. to happen. It is not exclusive to Trinidad to and Tobago. There were recommendations to intervene before. We did not have to wait until we got the tragic SEA results, which I am not putting at the feet of the students at all. The ministry has failed. And the ministry remediation plan is also going to fail. And you know who's going to suffer? The children. And we're only talking about, as Richard said, about the SEA students. Standard one, two, three, 
four now going to five forms one, two, three, four now going to five have also suffered learning loss. Where are the plans mm-hmm. for them? Well, this is a, we saw it last year with the results that came out at CSEC. And there was an admission that statistically there was a drop, etc. But what were the plans for them? And even then, educators in the secondary school are taking CSEC at the secondary school said, this is what we should do. And that was not heeded. And it was left up to the schools in many instances to do exactly what Richard is suggesting. Do the necessary interventions. Permit me to go back where I started. There are teachers in the schools for these eight weeks who have given up their vacation, even whilst teaching continuously virtually, who have given up their vacation to assist the ones, twos, and threes, and fours in the primary and secondary level. And that is without compensation. They did not jump at the military's incentivization, as I said, at the remedial program, because they recognize it's more than that. And if we don't try to capture now at the school level, then we're going to lose more than one generation, as we like to say, of students. And that will impact eventually on national development and on our GDP and our economy. Too often, we tend to separate education from national development and the running of the economy in inverted commas. And any progressive country will demonstrate that fallacy is something that leads to folly and failure and national ruin. I'm glad that you you, you are making that connection, Antonia, because why I'm upset about this is because it impacts the futures of these children. This is three or four or five cohorts of, of children. And... They, the, the state has a responsibility, all of us, to find the appropriate measures to remediate and get them back up to scratch because they are going to be less competitive when compared to their regional and international counterparts. And that it's going to affect correct. the country moving forward. That is correct. Now, recently, if you, if you and listeners would recall, recently we, we, we visited or we revived that whole CSME movement of labor, good. The Treaty of Shagaramas that facilitates the CSME and the free movement of labor across the islands. Just taking it into island, across the region, just as you said rightly, Paul, if our students are not properly prepared, as big as we see Trinidad and Tobago, we feel Trinidad and Tobago is, we will have our students, our scholars, our skilled workers, at the bottom of the ladder across the region if we don't try to capture and revisit and re-engineer what we are doing. We don't only have to be exam-driven. We must consider not only the national development, but the holistic development of the intellectual, of the individual. But, but Antonio, a, a continuous assessment is nothing new. Systems. Why can't we implement it effectively in this country? Yeah. <laughs> that is for the politicians to, to answer, Paul. Because but but it's, it's, it's actually at the point where we're being a stupid country now because continuous assessment is the is the is now the gold standard as opposed to waiting and I know there's some level of continuous assessment but as you said it's not standardized at the level it should be to to make the 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 performance levels assessment reliable and valid so if if there aren't systems in place to to ensure that 
for example, a particular school is not bumping up their grades with some sort of standardized mechanism and, and, and monitoring mechanism. You have a messed up system. But that's, it's, it, it is not difficult to implement if you have the political will. Well, that, that is exactly the term, the political will. Because remember, what we are talking about here as students in the mainstream in the public school, we are also referring in a smaller group of students to students with special needs who are perhaps in special needs schools. But at the end of the day, there's also a cohort of students who are very comfortable in the learning institutions where they were at and who had all of the resources and all of the access. And so we have to remember that education in Trinidad and Tobago, quality public education is, as you said, the responsibility of the government. And so when we cater and when we talk about political will, Yes, the entire system has to benefit, but political will has to be directed towards fulfilling the goals of quality public education for the students who need it. That is one of the fundamental goals that teacher education unions have around the world. And that's why tutor, as a member of Education International, will not only talk about teachers, you will hear us talking about the welfare and the rights of students. Because that's what we are supposed to be doing. Those are our clients. At the end of the day, political will has to be that, one, we are going to have dialogue with the appropriate stakeholders in the appropriate manner. In this instance, the education practitioners and the education researchers who are in the classroom and on the ground. Two, When we talk about budgeting for education, it's not just an allocation for building or for only training teachers. It's also an allocation for student success and the measurement of their success, which is relative to each child. And that's not something we're going to put on the political platform and beat our our chests over. We gave so many millions of dollars to education. Three, we should have, as a country, a national plan for education at all levels, from ECCE, early childhood, through the tertiary, inclusive of special education and tech work. If we have a national plan, then we can establish all of the criteria for success, all of the benchmarks for measurements, and know that we are catering to the different needs of our society and of our students. Until we do that and change our thinking about education, Paul and Richard and Steve and listeners, we're going to find ourselves spinning top in mud. But it's up to us to continue talking about it. That's why we're here. People may not like the message, but we have to continue talking about it and trying to get the persons with the ability to act, to act accordingly. Well, I don't know that you can say that these students are the ones feeling, you know, the system is feeling the students. It's clear to me in, in, in any proper assessment, you cannot say that the students are the ones who have failed when 50%, when 9,000 students score less than 50%. The system has failed the students. And what is, what is astounding is, this, is the deafening silence from the Ministry of Education regarding what is the next step since less than one-third registered for the so-called remedial four weeks. And you have four other forms and four other standards who also need remediation with nothing announced for them. But that's how we measure it. So at the end of the day, you are correct in saying that the children have not failed. The children's success are relative 
So there are situations, there are psychosocial and there are socioeconomic situations. Their success is relative. But as a society, we label them. And we have to move out of that mindset. It's a whole paradigm shift as a society. And that's why some of us will not say or admit that the system has failed. We will not admit that because the minute you say that, the Twitter president bashing the government. And it's not about that. It's about looking at where the children are and ensuring that they maximize their potential. Our yeah, system is they, they not They take it very personally when you say the system has failed. They take it, they, yes. they, they feel it's a frontal attack politically and then when really and truly, I'm, I am not excluding myself because if we don't advocate our voices loud enough for the kind of educational system, systemic changes needed, we're all failing. But at the end of the day, pointing fingers is not the way to go. Finding solutions is the way to go. Effective solutions. And if the solution you propose is not working or has not been optioned, you pay it and you find another solution because sitting down and doing nothing is not an option. That's right. And we have, we have reports from researchers and practitioners right here in Trinidad and Tobago gathering dust on shelves and wherever, offering some, because it's not now we've recognized that we've had underachievement. And that's been going on. We've had discussion on boys and the achievement accord. As you said, we've had GSC hearings on that. And we've had over the years enough research done by qualified local researchers and enough recommendations that gave us a big blinking red arrow to say, listen, you see this pandemic? These are the things that you should do to assist the students during the pandemic to build a system as we exit, to build resilience and to assist our students. But it comes back to what you said, political will. To pull out those documents, dust them off, look at the recommendations, do the cost-benefit analysis, not only in terms of the finance, what is it going to cost in terms of human development, development of human capital? Because at the end of the day, this vacation program will have to be assessed in terms of cost-benefit analysis. Not just the spending or the funding, but also, did it work? Well, Antonio, it's, it's already it failed. And, and I know the, 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 the response is going to be, well, we offered it and they didn't take it up. But is that good enough, though? Because well, at the end of the day, different families have different circumstances. And if you understand right. the culture of this country, right. the, the, the vacation period, though... Yes, it's, it would have seemed to be the, the likely time period to offer remediation. It should have happened since last year to start with because the learning loss didn't start in this cohort. It started it since 2020, right? right. And, the, and the documentation about it was available since then. And now you find, well, it has not been optioned. What is the next step? Richard made a, a brilliant suggestion that really and truly the first two months of the September semester should be about remediation. That's right. Because, because see, at that point, you have everybody mandatorily in schools. You have no choice but to be there. And it makes no sense moving anybody forward with, without making sure that at the level they should be before moving, moving them forward. Now, the argument can, has been put forward, Paul, that, and, and Richard and Steve, that very quickly. The argument has been put forward that what you do in Standard 5 is not necessarily the same that you do in Form 1. And there is, there is some truth to that. But we're talking more than just content. We're talking about skill development, right? And, and that is where you need to focus your, your energies on, your, your initiatives on, 
care as these children enter Form 1 in that first term there. You can suspend the regular curriculum to a point and develop the creative ways for these students because what you're going to find is that they're going to go in there with the self-esteem issues that, as we know, they shouldn't really have, but they've been labeled, so that's one. And then two, they're not going to be able to follow appropriately, and we have to stem that. Otherwise, we will just be perpetuating this cycle, right? So I came to the vacation program, and yes, I got some help. May not have cleared up everything. I got some help. You did not, and I have to sit in the same class with you now, and the sir or miss at the front of the classroom trying to engage us both with the same curriculum, the same material. How is that going to work for the student? That's what we have to ask ourselves. That's the kind of cost-benefit analysis we have to look at in terms of the human impact of this thing. Well, it, it happens also when you don't engage and collaborate properly, and that's part of the issue. There's a top-down arrogance mentality, arrogance-driven mentality, where we know, and we are the administrators, and we know what we're doing, and then when it blows up in their face, well, we offered, and stakeholders are just not working with us, and, but you're not giving people a chance to work with you, as you say, in the appropriate manner. That's correct. That's correct. It's just, it's just, it's just so frustrating, honestly. Antonio, I just wanted to touch on curriculum a little bit. Um, I know it has been a pet peeve of mine that I've spoken to at least two ministers of education, Tim Gopisingh and Anthony Garcia, about the issue of constantly revisiting the curriculum of the education system as the world moves forward. And I know, for example, since 2014, I believe, the UK government had instituted coding as part of the curriculum for primary and secondary schools. And they had, and I know that the UK felt they weren't competitive in the world of education, and they had a team that included the Minister of Education of the UK that toured a lot of those Asian countries that were excelling in mathematics, and some of them that were excelling in terms of their curriculum, like Singapore, and even Finland, etc. Mm-hmm. And I had brought that up, I know with Tim Gopi saying at that time, and I had brought that up with Anthony Garcia at the time too, about how much are we re- reconstructing our curriculum to fit 2022, well, I'm saying 2022 now, but back mm-hmm. then, whatever year it was, as the world moves forward and certain countries are continuously like Singapore, for example, are continuously looking at their education system and continuously reformatting it uh, to make sure that their students remain innovative and ahead of the curve. And every time I ask about, well, are we doing coding in primary school? Uh, um, the, the stock reply I get is that schools have computer labs. <laughs> and, and I don't know what that means. So I don't know if you can shed some light on the curriculum and whether you think that the curriculum that we have in our education system is suitable for where Trinidad and needs to go. So if I could look backwards from, from your, your observations. One, the curriculum, you mentioned that the countries look at the education system, they look at the curriculum in terms of the needs of the country, economic, et cetera, et cetera. 
that speaks to, and I'm sure if you investigate and listeners investigate, they will see that speaks to what I mentioned, having a national philosophy and approach to education for all sectors, which we don't have and which has been spoken about in many quarters already. Until we do that, then we will not be able to ascertain the link, as I mentioned, between education and the national development and the GDP, improved GDP of our country. It must be a holistic process. That's one. Two, the curriculum is often reinvented after, hmm, after an administration change. And sometimes you find that themes come in and approaches come into curriculum development and curriculum delivery that may not necessarily match the realities in the school system or, as I mentioned earlier, what is required for the country to go. What we need is to have, after that policy, that national policy, to have implementation on phased bases of different sectors so that we know, regardless of government or administrative change, this is the aspect of technical vocational education, for example, that must be implemented in year two or year three, as the case may be, because this is the ultimate national goal that education must serve for our country. We must have that discussion with not only the educators, but other stakeholders, the business, the industry, etc. As to the issue of facilities in the schools, you talked about the introduction of coding and the response of schools have computer labs. There are very few schools that have computer labs, primary schools that, is, that have computer labs with computers donated by the government or given by the government that are up to date using the current or the most current um, technology. And I think what we have right now, if I may dare say so, it would be the laptops that have been distributed to students that are not part of the computer lab. In a number of schools, you will go into a computer room designated, you will see desktops that will probably work still, but which the schools have had to maintain and keep functioning, and you will see the mainframe, which the schools, if they have the funding, have been able to service. If not, well, the mainframe is a decoration there. And at the end of the day is the initiative, again, of the educators to do that process. So it's not correct to say that schools have computer labs, and, for example, we can, in, we can introduce coding. That might happen at the secondary school. Hardly likely at the primary school, unless the school has a, a wonderful benefactor who's given 10 and 12 devices to the school within the last 5 to 10 years. A lot of the devices in the schools are outdated in terms of operation, hardware, and software. So we have that issue again, the issue of what we continuously raise as resourcing and funding to schools to drive the curriculum implementation. Curriculum in our country is written by persons who volunteer to go to the ministry and assist the writing, and then we have discussion with focus groups, etc. Maybe it's time for us to change that approach, because that approach is not the approach used by the, the countries where you see progressive education systems. That's not the only approach. So maybe it's time for us to, when we talk about best practices in curriculum development and curriculum implementation, to look at what is happening. And this can be accomplished when we partner. Tutor had some partnerships with some other teachers' unions some years ago, and we got some insight into that. The state can partner not only with other governments, but with other education institutions 
and education stakeholders in other territories regionally and internationally and get some insight into how we can develop a progressive and meaningful curriculum to outfit our students for a global environment in this 21st century. We are not looking at that as a, a global perspective and we need to change our paradigm as citizens, as a country. Yeah, so I hope that answers the, the, the fun components of your question. Hello? Yeah, I don't know what happened. You did, there. but um, it's just that it has been always a source of concern to me, um, especially with that issue of the digital revolution and the fourth um, industrial revolution, so to speak, with regard to digitization around the planet and how innovative our students are in navigating that world. I certainly know they can navigate it in terms of gaming and TikTok, etc., but in terms of the industry of it and the innovation in the industry of it, that's the concern. And I know that there are some coding summer camps and stuff. I know um, um, I, can't, I think Karen Sebran had sent me some, that they have some coding camps and computer camps that are on during the summer vacation where some parents will be sending their children to learn coding and stuff like that. But that's where the innovation lies and your most valuable resource is not gas and oil. It's your human resource. Correct. And how innovative your education system is, is a direct correlation to that. That's correct. That's correct. But it comes back to, it comes back to what is it you want out of the education system? Saying we want holistic and well-developed individuals and the also the education system and high-performing citizens, those broad terms must be translated into clear and specific objectives which must be attainable at the school level. And we have not translated those objectives yet. It's possible, but we have not done so the way we should. And that too will determine how we fund and how we see education as an investment. You talked about the digitization. How many of us understand the difference or what digitization means? There are many of us who think digitization and digitalization are the same thing. And I'm putting that out there to say that we want to focus on enhancing the, the education sector, or rightly so. But we must also allow the adults in our society who are out of the mainstream education, allow the adults in the society the opportunity to understand what we want to accomplish with education so that they can drive and they can motivate their children. If we don't do that and we simply say we are providing free education for you, come to school um, until age 18 or whatever it is, without the mother or the father fully understanding, without the guardian fully understanding why the child is coming to school, why the child has the opportunity to choose this particular group of subjects for this career path we would not necessarily have the impetus and the catalyst required for students to go forward. So apart from the education sector, we also should have, as part of that national policy on education, we also should have some sessions where we orient parents and guardians and citizens to what the education sector can contribute to their own well-being and upliftment. 
as well as for national development. When you look at countries like Finland, the Netherlands, and Germany, where textbook education has driven those economies, as Paul will know, then we need to see it as a holistic picture and not just something in the course of the Ministry of Education alone, but also something for all stakeholders and all entities to participate in. The fourth revolution is not only about education, it's about industry and enterprise, as you rightly said. So unless we are willing to look at everybody as a, a part of that process, then we may not necessarily achieve the national goals we want to achieve because we are too just disjointed, sorry, in our approach, and we need to fix that. Yeah. Are you are you willing to take some calls, Antonia? Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Going back to the phone lines yeah. at this point, two to two talk two to two eight two five five six one two eight two five five. Even out of the pandemic context, Antonio, do you think we've placed enough emphasis because there's a division called the Student Support Services Division, which to me is a great idea that's being poorly executed. Uh, when you understand how education takes place and we, sp- we keep speaking about being competitive and, and moving students forward, but we still have not gotten to the stage where we understand if we don't get the baseline up for example, the, the students who are, who are performing at, at 30% as, a, as a, a placement level for SEA, for, for example, and get that base, baseline to 50%, we really, it's going to be challenging to move everyone forward because everyone should have the opportunity to not use textbook as a default or as a, a, a in case I can't make science and, and law but as a first choice because I am performing well, but that is my choice because I understand the importance of it in the context of the entire economy. That is correct. That is correct. And as a matter of fact, when you look at some of the tech box subjects and the level of, of mathematics and, and um, English or English or whatever required there, science is required there, it's extremely intense. And so the child must also have that kind of intelligence to be able to do those subjects. The Student Support Services Division, um, as well as our members in the curriculum department, our members in DERE, they are severely overworked. Those divisions are understaffed. And at the end of the day, we need to have them properly staffed so that we can do the things we are talking about and achieve the goals we want to achieve for the best education sector. When you have one officer of student support services having to visit, for example, five schools in a cluster, might be five schools close by in close proximity to one another. But at the end of the day, it depends on how many students I have to see in those five schools. And what it would mean is that during the day, the work day, I may only get to see one a child once in a fortnight based on the workload for the five schools. That definitely is not going to assist students who need that kind of psychosocial and emotional support. Our curriculum officers who are supposed to be assisting with the implementation of the curriculum, when they collaborate with our teachers, our principals, our officers of SSSD, again, the challenges that our students face and the lack of resources, there are limitations to what they can do to assist because we don't have the resources the material resources that we need to assist our students. All right. Antonio, we do have a call online. Good morning. Good morning. 
Going one more time. Good morning, caller. Not there. Moving on. Good morning. Good morning, Steve. Morning. Right, and good morning, lady president. Um, what is going on here in the Ministry of Education now? No, not going to fix it now. Not going to fix. Um, what is right? Listen to us on the telephone. Yeah, yeah, you're not, you're not going to fix because I remind you of something the late Mr. said about 20 years or so ago. He said there are two opinions in Trinidad and Tobago the PNM's opinion and the wrong opinion. If you do not agree with the PNM, they are not listening to anybody else who have answers and solutions, and unless until that is changed, we are not going nowhere as a country. Whether it's an educator, they have the answer for everything, and they're not listening to anybody else. Look at Jerry Brooks just walked away from Desert for the same reason, because he keeps coming up with things to help the country, and they are not listening to him. You understand? I don't know if you can remember, you know why the Johnson Towers were built? Conrad, any other minister of finance said, that the reason, one of the solutions to the problem with the borders and so forth in Laventille is to change the name from Laventille to East Morins. And because there are buildings in West Morins that look like those in, in um, John John, that's how the John John Towers are made. So all kinds right. of stupid ideas, and we are getting anywhere. Thank you. Uh, good morning, caller. Me. Morning, morning. Mr. Patrick, morning. Morning, Mr. Morning, Patrick. Morning, Mr. Fraser. Morning. Um, you know, I listened to the conversation and this guy just come running back to my mind. Dr. Morgan Job. Dr. Morgan Job talked about this for so many years. He talked about education and he want to push children in secondary school and they can't even finish primary school. So, so what we've seen is, is something with the education system that's not really organizing for the child's mental and physical, social, psychosocial, as you're talking about. But we want to rush everybody's child into school, but we don't want to prepare them in a proper way. And that's where the education system failing, you know. It's our, it's our thing, you say, no child left behind. So we try that process in trade and no child left behind. But we don't put those other money behind the whole structure for it's the development. All they do is jumping from grade to grade. That's all. Yeah. They're not ready. Yeah. Thanks, Mister Patrick. <clears throat> it's called grade jumping. You write an exam, you jump a grade. You write an exam, you jump a grade. Whether you're ready to move or not is another matter. Mm -hmm. All right. We have a minute again, folks. This, yes, this, so we still taking your calls. This, this situation, if not remediated can be disastrous. We won't feel it now, eh? but we'll feel it in years to come. Yeah. Antonio, you want to add anything before we close off this morning? Did she get cut off? Oh, she did get cut off. Okay, well. Let me just, bring her, back. Anyway, Let me so. just bring her back in and, and close off. Yeah, if, if, if it's not fixed and fixed fast, it will mean that two or three or four generations have fallen behind and will stay behind. And 
I mean, just talking about coding, but if you can do the basic math and English, why are you adding coding to that? Yeah, I mean, coding is just an example. It's a language too, but I mean... Yeah, but I'm just you're an adding, example. You're adding something it's, to somebody's educational plate yeah. when they're already struggling with what is there. Yeah. You understand? And it's a base to be innovative. Right. Yeah. I, I do have a background. It's a baseline. To be Hello? innovative yeah. in, in, in a particular sector. Closing um, comments, Antonia, the way forward. Um, the way forward is for us to... Put, a la- put aside, as the caller was suggesting, put aside those insularities about partisan politics and who is against who, and let us really and truly come together as a nation to determine what our object- objectives are for national development, which in turn will guide our projections for education. As for the vacation program, we wish the students well, and we will be monitoring, teachers will be monitoring, and we will always make ourselves available to meet with and to work with the Ministry of Education because it's in the interest of our students and our country. Thanks a lot, right. Antonio. Antonio. Have a great day. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank All you. the best to you. Thank you, you too. All right, take care. Recording stopped. All right, thank you, Dorothy. All right, let's get into our news brief. Thank you for choosing Power the Two Digital. Listen every weekday for our live show starting at 6 a.m. Remember, like, share, and subscribe. Power 102 Digital.